This is Movies, a podcast about the act of cinema. With me today is Hans, and Hans, we were just ridiculing you over your your fascination with female politicians <laughs> yeah. in the media. Michelle Obama is the is the one. Michelle Obama, and uh, we I have. Know what are talking about? We have two guests <laughs> tonight. We have back uh, Nick Oldershaw. You were last on for the Brian De Palma special we did. Yeah, and Robbie, Robbie. That was such a fun episode of Civic TV that we had going oh. with uh, Sean Fury and the death of Batman. That and, was so <laughs> and a great back to back. It worked out so much better than I anticipated. I really thought, okay, these are two very separate things. It's not going to work. The death of Batman is going to feel forced, and it, it was probably as much fun getting through that. No, movie. Two, co- two closets, couple of dark Jane nights. Man. Yeah, just uh, of- getting it through. <laughs> no, that was fun. That was that was a, that was a blast. Reliving uh, childhood memories for myself. Because, again, an adult man sent me that video in the mail when I was a boy. And for for the uninitiated, (laughs) the death of Batman is just Batman being locked up and getting raped by some junkie for 30 minutes. Yeah, yeah. That's the gist of the movie. It's Batman fake not wanting to get tortured in a homosexual sadomasochistic way. So it's it's, it's all times like, no, please don't torture me. It's just like... Yeah, <laughs> over and over and over it's, and over. It really is. I didn't. I didn't think it would just be that. I, at first, I joked, "Oh, this is what this is going to be," and it slowly revealed itself that it was legitimately <laughs> it was exactly going that. To be yes, that. and yeah. that that person and has since gone on to do what the fan fiction for Batman that they sell yeah, on Amazon yeah. for seventy dollars. Oh, yeah, yeah. Holy I looked shit. up. We looked up his Amazon page. There's all these people being like, um, just like really well written and hot. Like, it was all clearly the fucking Batman. People who want, like, to beat off to Batman, but have, like, a a good story, too. You know, it's like... like, It's not all abs. You also need romance. Kevin Smith should write one of those. Well, he I mean, for for people with really deviant fetishes, I remember he wrote a story where Batman pees himself. And that was canon in the DC comic book universe for a while. So Really? Oh, oh, was it, was, it was it was like a it wasn't like a comic that he wrote or it was just a story that he published like did he actually write a run yeah he got after after clerks and mall rats and all that he wound up working for dc for a while and i think he was most famous for his green arrow line of comics and he did this story where batman was involved and he admits to peeing himself when in a Ugh. confrontation with the joker or something i don't know something happened Ugh. there anyway <laughs> 10 years later oh. the the Joker's still poning my taint, or whatever the fuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! And uh, you know, t- speaking of pornographic things, we're talking about Paul Schrader tonight. Paul Schrader, who disowned his film Hardcore about the pornographic industry of the 1970s. I didn't know that. He did. Why? Just, uh, well, I don't know. He didn't like it. I guess I don't know. Sometimes you don't he like one of his best movies. That's it, a great movie. It is, it is. We're going to get into hardcore, though. Right. There is so much to Paul Schrader's career before he even becomes a director. So we're going to be doing a a, a Paul Schrader, I almost called him Brian DePaul, Paul Schrader retrospective tonight, beginning with, well, I think we should probably talk about Taxi Driver a little bit, even though that wasn't on the required reading. But how can you not talk about Taxi Driver? It's probably his most famous, uh, exclusively written film. So Hans, you're a big Taxi Driver fan. I know you have a poster <laughs> on your wall of uh, of De Niro in that movie, yeah. looking in the mirror, yeah. saying, 
are you talking to me? That's your favorite moment. You always bring that up on the show. Yeah, I always do that shirtless in my tidy whities when I get out of the showers. How I get excited about working in a data entry job. Yeah, it's very relatable. <laughs> it was very weird when you did that back in March when you shared the apartment with Jerry and and Jake and myself. But That's uh, yeah, so uh, he he's a frequent collaborator of Martin Scorsese. He is a a great filmmaker, Paul Schrader, and a world class. Facebook user. He had a great post today about something. I already forgot what it was about, but I was thoroughly enjoyed by it. Do you guys follow Paul Schrader on Facebook? Yes. He's, no. he's, he's the wonderful. greatest. I'm just going to pull that up real quick. He's He he always goes on very long-winded diatribes about uh, you know, sociopolitics and, and culture, and it's always a real treat to see something like that pop up in your feed. Oh, today was about film companies sending out screeners via link instead of a DVD, which he actually, I think he has a good point about this, that, uh, you know, we might see a, a I don't know, a, uh, a more skewed uh, listing of uh, nominees this year for the Academy Awards. I think it's going to be a mess. I'm kind of looking forward to it. Uh, but essentially saying that if you have the physical media waiting for you to pop into your DVD player, you're much more likely to give whatever that is a watch, which I, I tend to agree with. Um, and then the rest is I all. thought we were doing a I thought we were doing a Paul Shear podcast. Paul Sh- I don't we know who he's talking Paul about Piranha, Piranha 3D. <laughs> Best of the week. This human giant and uh, what else is I don't even know what he's been on. His weird head. He's, he's kind of interesting. He's taken a uh, late career turn into semi-serious film discussion podcasting. You guys keep up with Paul Shear? No, I, I know that he did. Who? Uh, what is it called? How did this get made? I didn't know that he was doing like serious movies. So he did How Did This Get Made? And that was like a funny, but also like we're actually going to talk about film stuff podcast, much like this. And now he does a show called Unspooled with, I think, the woman that was on that show. And then they oh, got wife? rid of... His wife? He's married? Yeah, oh. June Yeah, June is his wife, yeah. Okay, so I think I, I could be wrong about this. I might have the information wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's her, and they do a serious film podcast, and they interview directors and whatnot. Huh. What's I the won't co- listen to that. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't know if I would go to Paul Shear to hear about film, you know? That's not the, the voice that pops in my head whenever I think of, you know, what his opinion and things. Right. I always, I always thought just like same way I wouldn't go to you <laughs> if I wanted to hear like a real opinion or something like this. It's just a, you know, that's not that's not a a valid voice, I guess. How d- you're saying my voice is invalid say. on my yeah. on a podcast <laughs> where <laughs> I pay you to show up and talk about movies with me each week? Pay, pay, pay what? You don't even pay attention to me. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, what, what's the what's the show called so that I can? I don't you know. know. Who cares? People should be listening to this podcast, not his podcast. You know, Paul Shear podcast, the Paul Shear show, on <laughs> iTunes and Spotify. So, uh, uh, did you guys watch Blue Collar? That's Paul Schrader's first film. Fuck Taxi Driver. Who cares about that movie? Yeah. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I watched it. Uh, what did you What did you think of this movie, Blue Collar, Nick? You know, I kind of didn't like it that much. I mean, I thought it was okay. I thought it was okay. I think it's compared to, like, the stuff that comes immediately after it, I think it's kind of amateurish. 
Like there was a there was a scene, the scene in particular where like there were just there were a couple scenes where I just felt like he hadn't matured as a filmmaker yet. Like I think the the scene that particularly took me out of it was like when the IRS guy comes and uh, Richard uh, Pryor. Uh, Pryor is he he's pretending that all those kids are his so that it does so that because I guess he like fudged his sacks or whatever. Uh-huh. And the scene is is like very obviously improv in a way that isn't funny dialogue isn't interesting the whole thing just kind of drags mm-hmm. and it does it feels like it doesn't feel like something that i've ever seen paul schrader do in any of his later movies it is an unusual film for him to start his career with based on like what we wind up knowing about him as a director and also i mean really everything that led up to that as a screenwriter between uh taxi driver and rolling thunder which you know that's uh, i think that's one of quentin tarantino's favorite movies i watched that movie and it was just a guy who gets off on violence happening to him and his family the whole time. That's how he deals with yeah. bad things happening. Interesting. I'll say that, if nothing else, interesting. And, uh, yeah, Blue Collars is kind of peculiar. Robbie, did you did you see his film debut? Uh-oh, Robbie, I don't think you have volume oh. going. Oh, no. You're muted, Robbie. Oh, no. Oh, did the microphone run out of... Power? What, what, what happened? Okay. Hans, did you watch Blue Collar? Yes. Uh, and uh, it was really... Uh, my biggest issue was tone. I thought... I don't know why I, thought I saw Richard... Well, I don't know why I saw Richard Pryor and thought he was going to be funny, but I, I feel like it was missing that. You could have oh. gotten a lot more. Can from, you hear me now? From, oh, there we go. You're good, Robbie. Yeah, yeah. No, mon- uh, no wonder my jokes were bombing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I feel like uh, he could have maybe introduced more of a comedic tone to it just because of who he had available. Uh, and, um, yeah, I, I, I wasn't as big as a fan as I thought it would be because I really like Kaitel and I really like Pryor, but this just felt kind of flat, especially yeah. the end. Like, I couldn't really care uh, also, about the, the whole drama they had for the last half hour of it. The music, because I kept, the music is not bad to the bone. But I kept thinking, yeah, like, because, you know, you watch these Paul Schrader movies and you're like, oh, holy shit. Like, you realize that Call Me was written for fucking um, American Gigolo, uh, Cat People was written for Cat People. And I was like, was Bad to the Bone written for Blue Collar? But it's just some other song. I uh, I actually liked it a lot. I thought it was like, you know what I liked about it is it depicts a setting and a kind of character. Oh, shit. God damn it. We can hear. We can, we can oh. hear you. Okay. Uh, it, it enabled Siri. Thanks a lot, fucking Apple. Anyway, because um, <laughs> I was talking about setting, I guess. Uh, but it's like, yeah, it's like a kind of like a kind of characters that I think still aren't really like depicted in movies that much, or at least not well. Which is just like blue collar workers, basically, and like you know, how they speak and stuff like that. And I, I just thought the, the setting tone, and I did actually like the main performances quite a bit. Um, and I like that it ends on the N-word. That's a really fun. Like, <laughs> yeah. I was like, all right, going out with a bang. Hell yeah. <laughs> well, from Blue Collar, he winds up getting into Hardcore, which was the film we started off talking about. This is his second film. And it does seem like a more mature fully formed movie in my opinion uh, stars the great george c scott who's like the best guy in the world to get angry in any movie 
He's the best shouter, the yeah. best yeller, the best, most upset man in the biz. I really enjoyed Hardcore. And Peter Boyle has a very good low-key performance in this film. Uh, it's probably one of my favorites. It's, it's definitely top three favorite Paul Schrader for me. Yeah, um, it's, it's, I think it's probably one of, like, if you're going to get into people, if you're trying to get people into Paul Schrader as a director, I'd say that's the first one to show them. No, it's just first reformed for sure. I think. Oh, I mean, think so? really. I think first reformed is the new gateway. But I, I, I think hardcore is really good, and I think it has a lot. It does a lot of the um, Paul Schrader themes that he'd like. Like throughout his work, he has a lot of movies that are about being like both repulsed or afraid of sex and like obsessed with it at the same time. And I think hardcore is like literally a man who's fearful but is has to get to the bottom of sex right you know? <laughs> so, i gotta figure out what this sex stuff is about so i i i did like i i i, I hardcore is great it's really really good why, why do you disown it i'm i'm not sure i think he just thought it was not as good of a movie as he had hoped i don't know what the reception to hardcore was like but i'm guessing it probably was not top notch uh when it was initially released in the late 70s i think Roger Ebert actually had kind words for the movie where he specifically had commented on the dialogue that occurs between George C. Scott's character and the prostitute, uh, which feels semi-relevant to a lot of the conversations today about like the coasts and what that represents as opposed to like Midwestern values, which his character definitely is the embodiment of in this movie. Yeah, it's definitely like a woman, an innocent woman being corrupted by like yeah, just like the depravity of the cities, for sure. It's a all day only fans, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> my like favorite hardcore, but he's just like subscribing to a shitload of only fans to find his daughter. <laughs> <laughs> just seeing Frank Barone being such an asshole in this movie was so great. Uh, that he was my favorite part of it. Just uh, I enjoyed his performance a lot, and I, I love the fact that. He was like, yeah, let me find your daughter. Here's her fucking on a yes. He brings him to the theater yes. to see it. He doesn't just tell him. You got to see it to believe it. No, yeah. trust me. Really, you're going to like this movie. Yeah, what a fucked up thing to do. He might, he might as well just put like 3D glasses on his face. Like, you're going to want these. Yeah. Dude, that yeah. scene, that's the, that is the definitive George C. Scott scene. The, the turn it off. That shit. I, I watch that clip on YouTube. Like Sometimes like when I'm bored, I'll just pull that up. You psycho, Nick. You put that on for fun? <laughs> I, do, I, do. I, watch, I watch hardcore, but I watch just the clips. Like, I, I just watch like, the highlights on I need YouTube. some cheering up. I watch George C. Scott ruin his life. Yeah, I watch him. I watch him watch his daughter get fucked, and I watch the Dick Black scene. Those are uh, the two. Yeah. That's what's amazing about this film is it's an incredible film that, like, like I'm amazed you rewatched clips even it because I'm like I don't want to watch that again because it's so fucking dark and brutal and it just does not let up. It, it oh really? Yeah. I think I literally think of it as like a fun movie, like a fish out of water movie. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that's one yeah, way to put like, it. It's like Borat. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> I really enjoy how harsh the resolve of the movie is, especially with his relationship with that girl who he's using to help find his daughter where peter boyle is basically just like she's a whore who cares just go home <laughs> and that that's literally what happened he's like well can i buy you breakfast or something and then she's just marches off you know yeah. it's so cold but real 
Like that's that's exactly how that would go. In the that's real also world. that was also the first time because like that was the movie, and it's true for all of his movies, but specifically the ending of that film when he's like knocking that guy like through and and the rooms are like the colors are crazy like the way those rooms are lit when he finally beats up the guy who's got his daughter. That was the first time that I really noticed Paul Schrader, uh, his like visual eye as a director, which I think I just associated him with being a good writer. But he's like, that was the movie where I was like, whoa, this guy, his movies look amazing. They're and kind I think of his that's, I think. I think some of them look like incredible. Like he puts a degree of effort into a lot of his movies. You know what I mean? Right. Like well, some well, of them kind of look flat. But if we're opinion. talking about like his like his twenty year, I would say he had like a twenty year streak of good movies. I think that like I don't really care about the way that Blue Collar looks, but starting with Hardcore, that's when he becomes like a really impressive visual director for mm-hmm. me. Yeah. I, I I view you, his career as more of like a a bit of a zigzag in terms of quality, where he starts off strong and then he gets to the '90s and kind of dips a bit. And then he comes back more toward the end where you have these films like Dog Eat Dog and uh, 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 First Reformed. Dying, dying of the uh, Light. No, not, not I... Dying of the Light. No, <laughs> not that one. Maybe maybe his bootleg one. We'll, again, we'll get into all that. Dark, yeah. But uh, Hardcore is, uh, is absolutely quality and a, and a great representation of his early directing career, I think. Hmm. It's it's not a lot of screenwriters can be that instantly. Even I think Blue Collar is a distinctive visual style, but yeah, the fact that he could like make a movie that looks so distinctive so quickly is is pretty pretty incredible. From there, he winds up working with Scorsese again on Raging Bull, but the same year as that, he has American Gigolo come out, and I. For what it's worth, I think American Gigolo has probably one of the the best opening sequences of a movie. Even though, uh, you know, w- w- sorry, what is the the pop song that is frequently used in that movie? They they drive that into the ground. Call me, call me. Yeah, it was yes. written. It yeah. was written for it. Oh, okay. oh, I didn't know that. I never knew that. I'm I'm almost positive because because it, it was released as the theme to American Gigolo, and then Blondie uh, wound up putting it on their album too. Yeah, that makes a it's lot a great of sense. song. Blondie's really good. I just recently kind of got into them, but that song—they have a lot of good songs. What did you guys but, make of uh, American Gigolo? Um, I really like Richard Gere as a leading. There's like two movies that I like Richard Gere in, and when I like him, I like this and Days of Heaven. It's like he's a great leading man, but he just gets shit parts. Uh, American Gigolo, Primal it, Fear. You don't like Primal Fear? Oh yeah, I like yeah, Primal Fear is oh. good, but I like a, I like a young hot Gere. Yeah. Uh, you know. <laughs> the tight ass Richard Gear. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I can never see him as a leading man just because he looks so much like that little people big world midget <laughs> that yes. whenever I see Richard Gear, I just think of him so I can't take him to like you, you're you said too long. That, didn't you say this on the Brian De Palma yes, show as he, well? He's obsessed with this. <laughs> <laughs> well that's that's I just bring this up every episode. Yeah, every, every time we mention Richard Gere, it's like, oh, that Richard Roloff or whatever his name is. <laughs> I knew him first from the, the first thing I saw him in was Chicago. So I thought, which is so different from everything else he, he's done, really. So I was like, oh, he's like a goofy uh, character actor, kind of. <laughs> right. Which is not really. I, I like American. I think that American Gigolo, it does. Like. Paul Schrader uses a similar similar formula in a lot of his movies, and American Gigolo kind of follows. I would even sort of compare it to the formula in that um, 
in Light Sleeper a little bit, but Light Sleeper is more successful with it. I, I, American Gigolo looks good enough that I stick with it, even if I'm not totally engaged the whole time. I like it. It's I didn't really good. like. I don't like American Gigolo that much. I was expecting to like it because the opening is great, as you said, and I do like Richard Gear as well. And oh, Sex Crime. That and Light Sleeper were two ones I was expecting to like a lot more, but both of them just kind of felt flat to me. So the thing with this movie and Light Sleeper especially is I feel like this movie is so full of character that it makes it a good movie, even though, it in my opinion, it completely falls apart at the end. And that whole third act is is a mess, and it feels like it belongs in a different movie entirely. Mm -hmm. Uh, Where it contrasts with a movie like Light Sleeper, which feels in a lot of ways like he's just remaking this is that movie is yes. so void of character by comparison yep oh yeah. really i was bored i because i was like this would be a, i light sleeper it was like this seems like a combo i'd love crime drama defoe drugs traitor but it doesn't work because the paul the Willem defoe character is so boring he's just like he's he, he completely falls flat to me really i love light, light sleeper is one of my favorite paul schrader movies Interesting. How come? I I don't think that would be at the top of anybody's list usually. It's it's one that certainly goes under the radar in terms of discussing his filmography. What was it about Light Sleeper that you enjoyed? It's the exact opposite of what you guys said. I think I I I really like Willem Dafoe's character. I'm like with him the whole way. I just I I just identify. His life is just like mine. Um, I identify with him a lot. <laughs> a scumbag. <laughs> yeah, a total scumbag. <laughs> But uh, Nick, you fall asleep so easily. You slept in your car. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, yeah, I yeah, I don't. I guess, I guess I haven't even intellectualized why I like light sleep that much. I just want to. I it's just one that I put on. And I really like. I like all the aesthetic choices. I like their performances. Um, it did shock me when that bitch died. I was like, damn. Okay, what's yeah. happening now? Yeah, at that point in his career, he he definitely. I I would say that. The movie that he made with that was certainly more cohesive. It just lacked the iconography that something like American Gigolo had. And, yeah. and I don't think that movie is isolated in terms of having that flaw. Uh, what was it? The uh, Comfort of Strangers, I think the title was. That I like that one, too. Christopher Walken one. That, that felt like the same, where it was just like, okay, well, give me something a little flashier. Because otherwise, it's very straightforward, plot-driven, and... Uh, not necessarily a visual spectacle like his earlier films are. Well, but you know, I think without jumping around too much, I there there's something I lo I like the Paul Schrader movies that are obviously visual feasts like Mishima or even Patty Hearst is like a very like there's a lot of like crazy like expressionist shit in that movie. But there is similar to First Reformed, I can also appreciate his more muted visual style. And I would I would actually compare but for, I think First Reformed has an incredible visual style. Yeah, like, but it's, it's just—it's not flashy, but it's like some of those shots are beautiful, and like the the colors are really really cool. Yeah, but I would but I would say that the visual style in First Reformed actually reminds me of Comfort of Strangers. I haven't seen Comfort of Strangers, but I, I thought Light Sleeper looked flat. In addition to like that, that was the other thing I was like that—that's kind of what I was thinking of in terms of like movies that don't look that great that he's made. Uh -huh. I, don't, I don't know. I guess I just disagree. What what did you guys think I of disagree. Uh, Cat People? <laughs> his his stab at horror, Cat People with my, Malcolm McDowell and Amy like Malcolm McDowell. I, yeah, I like Cat People too. Maybe I'm just easier on horror, but I thought it was a, a good time. I mean, here's I, the, what you're gonna find out about me is I like 
every Paul Schrader movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, even, I, even, I, watched, uh, I watched Adam Resurrected, and I was like, people should see this. This is great. It's fun. It, yeah, and yeah. Uh, all of them, there's something to like for me, too. I, none like, of them, I think, suck. There's no Paul Schrader movie. And Cat People is worth watching. Cat People, again, like, re- I, I, loved, I loved seeing him do, like, 80s, like, gorehound shit. Like when that guy gets his arm ripped off. Cat is a really fun, pulpy movie. Um, yeah, I and like it. In terms of songs that he drives into the ground, Cat People by David Bowie is such a good one. Yeah, he has yeah, a habit such... of that. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, Hans, I mean, horror is your, your genre, right? What did you think of Cat People? I, I, that was not on the list. I've not seen it. That wasn't on the list? The... I don't know. We've had this I've... show four months, five months in the making, so I forgot most of the movies. <laughs> I've seen the the one from the '40s, and that one was fine. Well, what did you I'm think of Cat this. People from the '40s, Hans? <laughs> it's, it's good. There, there's a very terrible special effects that make it amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that was not on the list. I was uh, most of the movies that you've mentioned were not on the list that you gave me, so I'm just sitting <laughs> I've just autistically seen every Paul Schrader movie. If you guys want to talk about The Light of Day, I'm ready to talk about that. Did you watch (laughs) Witch Hunt? I did not watch Witch Hunt. Uh I hope that it's good. Is that that the president? Yeah, yeah, that was uh, Dinesh D'Souza, I think, directed that. This one stars Dennis Hopper and uh, Eric Bogosian. So... I don't, I'm, I'm very interested to see this. I think it was for HBO or something. It's it's a TV movie, right? I wonder if it's in. I wonder if it's full screen or widescreen. I would love to know that before I watched it. Why don't we talk about Mishima? Was that on the list, Hans? No, that no, it wasn't. Yeah, it? Yes, it was. Just sitting here and quiet. <laughs> no, you gave me. No, you said blue collar, hardcore, American Gigolo. Uh, hold on. You said Dominion. You said The Canyons. Uh, and then Doggy Dog Dying of the Light. All the hits, yeah. Whoa, the yeah. Canyons over Mishima? Bold move. Right? <laughs> I mean, I, we I, didn't even, the I, I, I don't know. Yeah, we do. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, I, I have stuff to say about the Canyons. When we me get too. There. The I'm Canyons. Really excited oh. to get to the Canyons. Classic. All right, <laughs> don't roast me too hard. Why, no, well, I'm not kidding. I'm actually excited about talking about the Canyons. Oh, okay. I, anyway, well, can we, can we talk about Mishima for a minute? By all means. Mish, Mishima, Mishima, I don't know how to fucking say it. Um, but it, it is one of my, I think it's like one of my like top five movies of all time. It's also, it like, I think it might be, it's hard, man, because sometimes I think like when you think of like the new Hollywood guys, like if Martin Scorsese is the best of that crop, Paul Schrader is my favorite, even if he's not the best. And I think that Mishima, I, I think Mishima kind of outclasses every other movie from that group in that era. It's like a singularly perfect work in terms of like, yeah, (laughs) no, Star Wars is better. You're right. Um, (laughs) But it's like, I mean, like, I mean, like the set design is incredible. Flawless cinematography. The performances are amazing. Nobody saw it. That was like the funniest part. Nobody in Japan saw it because it wasn't released over here. Nobody in America saw it because it was full of Japanese actors. It's just like this weirdly lavish passion project that on paper should be really boring. Like, if you told me what that movie was about, I'd be like, I'm never going to watch that. And then it's just one of the best movies of all time. Yeah. I've, I've got to agree. I mean, I I think there are better new Hollywood movies. Like, I love The Godfather so much, but um, 
but that's definitely like such an underrated like as one I hadn't seen until this retrospective to be honest which I'm ashamed of but it was so fucking good it was like it was like watching a classic movie that I like you know I, that feeling of, of uncovering like a classic movie that, I, that you don't get since high school and you're like first like getting into movies or even mm-hmm. middle school or whatever that's what it felt like watching machine like the the visuals are incredible the, the the themes are really really interesting i think that it kind of it, it, it's as i think to, to go on nick's point if you if you said like oh an 80s biopic prestige movie i was like i would my thought would be i could not be interested in anything less than that genre of movie but the way that he like toys with that genre and like makes it this like weird meta commentary about art and artists and all that stuff. It it kind of set the way for like Charlie Kaufman shit too. I think, which is like, oh yeah, it, it, which I think like uh, I like. So you can see it's it's massive influence on a bunch of other great movies that came afterwards. But it's it it itself is is such a good movie. Well, within his career, it kind of seems for a while that he peaked with this, and then he gets into his more uh, subdued films, is what I would call them, and that's. You know, where we were talking about The Comfort of Strangers and Light Sleeper. Uh, he did Patty Hearst and Light of Day. I did not see Light of Day. Nick, I, what is Light like of Day Light about? Of Day. What is this? I, it's, a, it's the, I mean, it's, it's been a minute since I've seen it, actually. Um, but it's Michael J. Fox and Joan Jett. Uh, they want to be, they're like working class people who want to be rock stars. Bruce Springsteen wrote the. Oh, that movie. Yeah. Um, and it's and it's it's just you know it's just working class struggle. It's 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 trying to get the band off the ground, and uh, I like it. It's it's very watchable. Paul Schrader doesn't write bad dialogue for the most part. There's genuine chemistry between Joan Jett and uh, Michael J. Fox. It's definitely it la- well, but it does kind of actually have a lot of his like hallmarks as a writer. But it it doesn't feel like a typical Paul Schrader film. And Patty Hearst, I love. I think Patty Hearst is is massively underrated. Patty Hearst is also, from what I saw when I was trying to get through a lot of these movies, difficult to find a like a reasonable copy of. I think there was a really cheap standard definition one that was on Pirate Bay or something. I know I think Vinegar Syndrome has a limited edition copy that you can get right now on their their website. It, for like it was streaming, off. it was streaming on Criterion when I saw it, but the max quality you could watch it in was like five forty p. He also does the lap, last temptation of Christ that same year. He he wrote that film, and that was a big uh, controversy for the day. Pissed off a lot of Catholics. That stars Willem Dafoe. Willem Dafoe and Martin Scorsese is a weird combination. And uh, you know, we 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 briefly went over Witch Hunt. He he's a producer on a movie called sorry a writer on a movie called City Hall. And uh, he returns to work with Martin Scorsese on Bring Out the Dead, which I think is a, a, a pretty underrated Scorsese film starring Nicolas Cage and Ving Rhames. Very great uh, style to that film, visual style, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah. I love Very that underrated. movie. Yeah. Now, 2002, we get Autofocus, which this might wait, actually wait, wait, be. Hang on, wait, wait. Yes. We skipped Affliction. Affliction? Affliction is great. Hans, was Affliction on this list? No. Oh, I'm no. sorry. I wasn't on the list. Sorry, sorry, sorry. sorry. Go on. <laughs> no. uh, he, he actually had two in the same year, Touch and Affliction. I ha- oh, t- I haven't seen Touch, but Affliction is good. Affliction won Oscars, I'm pretty sure. 
Well, touch stars Skeet Ulrich and Tom Arnold, so you're really missing a gem there, <laughs> from what I would gather. Uh, Autofocus. Hans, did you watch Autofocus? This was definitely on the list. Autofocus had to have been on the list. No, you didn't no. watch Autofocus? Hans, are you on this episode? You haven't said a word for a half what? hour. What? That's not my fault. You gave me the list. I knew nothing about Paul Schrader before you gave me that list. And I was like, yeah, well, I watched them. I and definitely I put autofocus on the list. But autofocus. Hans, how are we doing a Paul F. Tompkins retrospective? <laughs> <laughs> this, I, I think, might be my, my personal favorite Paul Schrader film. It's a very low-key film. I caught it on the Criterion app uh, a couple of months back when we were initially talking about doing this show. And has a great performance from Greg Kinnear and Willem Dafoe. What did you guys think of Autofocus? So this is the one that I, I like gave you a list of movies that I might want to cover on movies, and this one was on it because I love this. It's so goddamn good. It's probably my second favorite, but I think it's just like it, it's the movie that kind of got me into Paul Schrader in the first place because I heard it was like kind of a hidden gem, and uh, I like that it's just like it's every. It's every kind of it's it's really funny, but it's also really dark, and the performances are really, like I'm not a big Greg Kinnear guy, but he's like great in the movie. Willem Dafoe is awesome in it, yeah. and uh, and it's an unbelievable true story that I've never heard, but like it, it it involves a lot of things I've heard of, like Hogan's Heroes and like the film industry and stuff and pornography addiction, and I I think it's just such a it's like so fun but also really dark and i think that combo is really really is, is really cool and it's, it's definitely one i like recommend to everybody because everybody when they watch it they usually enjoy it yeah it so, does so it, oh, it, it does greatly uh show the decay of bob crane who was like a wholesome tv actor back in the 1950s or 60s during the run of hogan's heroes and how just you know crossing paths with the wrong people uh essentially put him on a path where he completely destroyed his family life for this one addiction with sex and pornography. And uh, his relationship with Willem Dafoe is, is so interesting in the movie as well. Uh, Nick, you were yeah. going to say something. Oh, I was going to, ironically enough, I, I, I like, I think autofocus is a lesser work, but it's one of Paul Schrader's most watchable movies. I mean, like every time I can't not watch the whole thing every time it's on, I will say, I do think it's visually kind of flat. Compared to, uh, you know, I, I, it's one of his movies where the visuals don't stand out to me. And I think the, the ending feels very, the, there's something very abrupt and tacked on about that ending. Yeah. That never sat right. You know, you're right. We do see Greg Kinnear done up with like a little fake gray hair. And he kind of looks like, uh, 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 what's his name? Uh, sorry, who plays, I'm, I'm, I'm not even remembering the fucking movie's <laughs> name. The guy from Ocean's Eleven, the older guy from Ocean's Eleven, who's a famous... Morgan Elliot Freeman. Gould. No, Elliot. Yes. Elliot Gould. Yeah. Elliot Gould. Oh, Morgan gosh. Freeman. <laughs> yeah. He's got to uh... Paul Schrader put blackface on Craig Kinnear at the end. That's sure like an odd choice. <laughs> we, we see Greg Kinnear at the end and he looks like Elliot Gould in Ocean's Eleven. And uh, it's just like, yeah, he's he's done for. It feels very rushed in a, in a way. I, but, I, I, but I, it's a funny movie. It was a group grope. That always makes yeah, me fucking that's the mad, best dude. line. What? It was a group grope. <laughs> it was a group grope. <laughs> yeah, him, there's something so fucking funny about a guy throwing his life away because he's obsessed with watching himself have sex. Because sexuality is funny, but also scary. It's kind of the it's kind of the other end of hardcore, where it's like hardcore was the darkness of sexuality being both funny or 
obsessing over it, but it also being scary. This is like kind of the more lighter end, even though it ends with his him getting killed. Right. Uh, yeah. But but I, I I think Nick's criticisms are actually like right on. Like I don't disagree with either of those points he made. Like it does look like a TV movie kind of, and it does the ending is like kind of weird and sudden. But but all the the laughs along the way. No. Uh, it, it's like, <laughs> but but there's so many just great moments, and as you said. Um, Lorez, the uh, the relationship between those two, it's like I still think I I can picture that immediately in my head. Like I remember those two characters and that interaction just like so well. And it's crazy, it's true. It's just insane. It's true. Like uh, first of all, it's crazy they made Hogan's heroes. Like what the hell was that? It was just like Nazis, <laughs> but they're funny. <laughs> those wacky Nazis. <laughs> it's like that. What's that show? Uh, That's my Hitler <laughs> or something like that. There's Kyle Honey. honey. Oh, Hi, my, yeah, yeah, yeah. That show, that's yeah. my Hitler. That's <laughs> my Hitler. <laughs> yeah, oh, fuck. I haven't thought about that show in a minute. Their neighbors are Jewish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. Hi, Honey, It's Home like lasted one episode, but Hogan's Heroes, multi-season beloved sitcom. Yeah. You can buy the whole series at Walmart right now, I'm fairly certain. Now, what happened from Autofocus... Like, what happened to him in those three years that he ended up doing Mortal Kombat, The Exorcist? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, uh, I guess that movie got him uh, looking really good at Warner Brothers, and they were thinking about doing an Exorcist franchise. I know that was always talked about. They wanted to franchise The Exorcist. They tried with the sequel that was directed by uh, John Borman, and I think there's... Uh, elements of that movie that are really creatively interesting, even though it's a total failure. And then we have Legion, which is directed by William Peter Blatty, the writer of the novel and the screenplay of the 1973 Friedkin film. And I I think most people at this point came around to it and see it as a fairly solid horror film. Uh, Nick, did you say that you preferred the theatrical cut as opposed to the director's cut, or or am I imagining this? Uh, Of Legion or of... The Exorcist, Exorcist 3. Exor- oh, ex- yeah, I do. Well, I do because the director's cut uses like that video footage. Right. They had the video dailies to run with and not restored prints. I, I, you know, it's I know that the ending I've made peace. I really love The Exorcist 3. And when you I've watched it enough that I like made peace with all of its flaws. And I actually think that that ending, even though it's a total non sequitur father morning coming in and like you know casting a fucking holy spell on the demon it's a pretty satisfying ending i i I enjoy it when i see it i have come around to agree with that opinion even if the exorcist part of it is uh so shoehorned in there and doesn't make sense with the rest of the movie but the i think it 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 does add depth to bring back jason miller as the the charis character as opposed to just having brad dorif play you know play that as well and the, I mean, especially the the weight of George C. Scott firing the bullets into his character at the end, like as he's like fighting the the demon that's inside him. I I do think it it adds the necessary uh, boom that the ending needed, where it really just kind of ends anticlimactically with that lead character played by Scott firing rounds into Brad Dorf randomly. He just shows up and boom, 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 and then that's the end of the movie. Uh, but that's not the movie we're talking about. We're talking about Dominion, prequel to The Exorcist, which is, uh, well, it's not a very good movie, I would say. 
So Paul Schrader's working on this Exorcist prequel, and he sends in a rough cut, and Warner Brothers is like, oh, geez. They start panicking. They start sweating <laughs> watching that movie, and they're like, oh, we, we can't put this out. What the fuck is this? This is not the movie we <laughs> signed yeah. on for. Call Rennie Harlan. Let, yes, let's get the director of Cliffhanger and Nightmare on Elm Street Part 4 involved to right the wrongs of Paul Schrader. And then you get Exorcist the Beginning in 2004, I think it might be. And I saw that movie in theaters and oof, really dreadful. What's the difference between the two? Because um, it's the same. It's some of the same cast, but they're totally. It's some of the same cast and some of the same locations, but they're totally different movies. Uh, Exorcist the Beginning might use some footage from Dominion. I can't remember. It's an interesting back-to-back watch. I saw Dominion. I haven't seen the other one because I heard it's even worse. And Dominion's actually the stuff I do like about it quite a bit. But that's fascinating that there was just two different fully made cuts from, like, the same-ish source. Like, has that, has that happened elsewhere? Justice really League. Zack Snyder's yes, brilliant yes. masterwork oh. will be getting uh, next year, right? Man, I, got, uh, I, saw, so, I saw the black and white trailer on Twitter today. Oh, I got so excited. If they don't release it in IMAX in black and white... <laughs> Ha ha, Hans! You're the outsider this time. Hang on, Hans. End the lockdown so I can go see it in IMAX in black and white. Hans, I have, I got a big question for you. What is, what is your beef with Zack Snyder? He embodies all your ideals. You should be rooting for this guy. He's the last guy in Hollywood making movies for you. No, I, uh, I don't know. This might be I, the only film podcast ever where it's majority pro Batman versus Superman. Yeah. <laughs> One of the greatest movies of the 21st century. It's great. It's like, uh, you know, look, it, it, it has a drama that Paul Schrader wishes he could encapsulate. I think Paul Schrader loves that fucking movie, dude. If you showed him the why would I even try after hearing all that? Like, what's the point of me saying anything after all this? Sucking. No, I I don't know. I just I I find it to be a lot of flash and nothing else, and I I get bored with it. Really, really. Yeah. Here's the theory flash. that uh, Jesse Eisenberg's character or his Lex Luthor is based on Max, Max Landis. Landis. Yes, I heard uh, that. I heard that. I believe that I too. I, I completely believe that. <laughs> so you're, I you're, like three hundred. Three three hundred is good. <laughs> <laughs> all right well, there we go that's it i guess you need more abs more male muscles and it's on yeah. site for me to enjoy it yeah this movie dominion though i i, I remember ordering it on pay-per-view i think when i was maybe 15 years old and i had no idea who paul schrader was at the time so i i just started watching this exorcist movie and i noticed at the very end that the special effects were not even done and that was greatly upsetting to see as a 15-year-old boy who, you know, I grew up on the Batman movies and whatnot. And uh, I really liked that first Exorcist movie. I was I was very disappointed in that. But I don't think it's a bad... I mean, look, it's not a good movie. But as far as the Exorcist sequels go and that, that whole tentpole of a title, is it the worst thing? Certainly not. What do you think is the worst thing? Uh, that two? No, I I don't think two is the worst thing either. I think probably the Rennie Harlan version of this, or or maybe that Fox show. True, I wasn't even considering the Harlan movie or the Fox show. Um, and the special yeah. really ruin it because the climax is so bad because those special effects are like so bad. I like yeah. cringe really bad. 
It reminds me of that Fantastic Four movie we watched yesterday with the Flame On guy. It's, it looks exactly the same. It's just maybe, yeah. you know, they improved it a little bit, but it, it looks like a PlayStation 1 character. Just, I, just yeah. Orange. It's atrocious. It, it really took me out of the movie because I remember being on the fence, like, oh, I could like this. This is like, I'm kind of getting into it. And then, like, the first special effects come, and I'm like, that is horrific. This also, is horrifically the, bad. The guy kind of looked like that reveal of. Friday the 13th one, where you just look retarded Jason. He just looked like that to me, so I could not be afraid of him at all. This big head. Uh, Jason X chromosome. (laughs) I think one of the most interesting uh, differences between this movie and the Rennie Harlan version is that they ultimately decided to alter who is possessed at the end of the film. So it does make it feel like two completely separate movies, even though you have Stellan Skarsgård and some of that supporting cast left over and it and it's kind it, it is essentially the same plot with a lot of you know different in between right yeah yeah i was reading the wikipedia for the other one and i was like oh it's interesting how much of the plot is similar it, but it, it sounds like a radically different movie i should check it out so dominion it's interesting marks probably the beginning of his dark period as a as a creative artist now, I did not watch The Walker or Adam Resurrected, but uh, maybe you could give us just like a brief summary about either of those films or both of those films, Nick. I like The Walker, too. The Walker is also kind of part of... Um, the Walker feels, again, similar to American Gigolo, actually. Um, it's been a minute since I've seen it. Though. It's Woody Harrelson. He he like he escorts... like um, I'm pretty sure he like he like escorts and keeps company the wives of politicians in Washington, D.C., and then one of, he gets involved in, like, a murder. Somehow, I actually would have to rewatch the movie. But I remember kind of liking it. Um, Adam Resurrected, I, I just watched, and it's a fucking Is that a movie. comedy? What, The Walkers? I just, I just, I just, no, the Adam Resurrected, I just read the synopsis for it, and it sounds funny. There are times when it's funny. There are times when it probably is funnier than it should be, um, but it's, it's the best Jeff Goldblum performance since The Fly. Yeah, he's this guy. He's uh, he's like a clown in like pre third. Isn't it like Patch Adams? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's it's oh, kind God. of it's kind oh, of Patch oh. Adams, kind of K Pax. <laughs> but then it, it cuts back to him being like um, dominated as like a human dog in a um, like what a, in a cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He has to he has to act like a dog in a concentration camp. He's Willem Dafoe's personal dog. Willem Dafoe's a high ranking Nazi <laughs> at this camp, and then he's released, and he is. Tr- they're trying to reintegrate him into society in this mental asylum in Israel, where he's also fucking one of the nurses, and he forces her to act like a dog before he'll fuck her. And everybody seems to know that this is going on. He kind of like runs the facility. But then they bring in this little boy who also thinks that he's a dog, is like a form of therapy. This sounds a, like a Jewish uh, executive sex fantasy. <laughs> it, it definitely okay, does. I, I was just in the Holocaust. Now call me your dog. All right, let's get the boys. <laughs> it's, it's, it's ridiculous. But there is a part in the movie where uh, Jeff Goldblum has a mental break and he puts like black and white clown makeup on his face and he like wanders through the halls like weeping and it's like shot with like this fisheye lens. And I loved that. I, I like. I was that whole sequence. I was like, "This is awesome. This is. It's one of the most in- interesting things Paul Schrader has shot." 
I'm sure it's it's competent if I watched it, but just that summary, I was like, this is the most insane thing I've ever heard. <laughs> no, 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 it, no, it's insane. So it's a, it's an insane movie, but it's really well acted. Uh, I am going to give this movie a watch. Uh, Definitely, yeah. eventually. Yeah, yes. this this actually sounds pretty great. And he takes a five year break from filmmaking, from really doing much of anything, it seems. And comes back with the Brett Easton Ellis-scribed, Kickstarter-funded, Lindsay Lohan, James Dean vehicle, The Canyons, which I remember. I You know, the best thing that come out about The Canyons was that long, what was it, Hollywood Reporter? One of, one of those publications put out a very long, scathing piece about the making of this film and Paul Schrader's inability to harness uh, uh, the... the uh, cohesiveness to to put together a a working production for this film and how Lindsay Lohan was just so much of a problem and he seemed kind of infatuated with her and uh, gradually grew you know I don't know one-sided closeness to her and she just completely destroyed the movie uh has everybody here seen the gods you watch the canyons yeah. Okay. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, so, that's so great uh, that you watch the canyons and not me. I Googled Postrader before the show. I don't even remember why. And I saw that that Mishima or whatever it's called is like his best movie. And I'm just like, I watched the can I watched the Nicolas Cage one, like, late Nicolas Cage ones. And I yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I this I just don't understand the point of this even existing at all. I couldn't find one thing that I liked. The dialogue was horrendous, which I know that you're a huge fan of Brett Easton Ellis or where, uh, but every line in here just made me really uncomfortable for the wrong reasons. It's bad. Uh, I mean, what I, we're learning about Brett Easton Ellis, and now he's got a smiley face killer movie that just popped out of nowhere starring Crispin Glover from the same director as River's Edge. I guess this movie was was hidden for many years, and they just dropped it out of the blue since everything's VOD now. Uh, is that he's not very good at writing, you know, f- for movies or for television? Even a great novelist, not really lately, to be honest with you. But uh, anyway, I like Brad. I think he's lost his uh, magic. I yeah. love his novels, especially from like his first, like especially his early career. I think are like incredible reads. But, Definitely, yeah. His, his screenwriting career has been kind of a disaster. Is every actor in here a porn star besides Lindsay Lohan? Or are they just bad? They're just, they That's just my like thing them. with it. It is like James Dean, it was supposed to elevate him to like a real actor, but I think it may, dragged everyone down <laughs> yeah. to it feeling like a porn. <laughs> yeah. It, it's a fucking weird movie. I haven't actually seen all this. I have an, ins- I have a very weird connection to James Dean. I don't know if I should end it. Roddy, what do you think? Should uh, I talk about it? Do it. Oh my god, yeah, you got it. You, you have, have to now. You can't you can't just that. you can't just dip your toe into the water and not hop in, oh, Nick. Come on. Have you this talked is... about it on your podcast? Coward yeah, Coward? I think I I think we talked about it on Lemaire's episode. When I was nineteen years old. Oh, oh man. When I I just cause I just cause for I know low res's crowd is gonna rip me apart for this. Oh, when I was when I was 19 years old, I was um, I was dating a psychotic, like 32 year old woman in Washington D.C. Oh boy, I've been and there. I, and, what have you been there? Uh, yeah, not to D.C. Continue. Oh, okay. 
So been there to Washington D.C. <laughs> so so dating a total. I mean, just you know, literally just like having my. She might as well have been like sticking her fingers like into my brain, just like crazy manipulation. Couldn't get out of the relationship. You're groomed. I was groomed. I was 100 percent groomed. <laughs> it was uh, you know I, I was I felt I was like uh, I was like Rose McGowan over here. Um, and she when we when I tried to break up with her we took a break and in that week that we took a break she like reached out to James Dean to shoot a porn with him and like this was right around the time I think that the canyons came out I want to say it was like Hold 2013 on. were you dating Farrah oh. Abraham from Teen Mom <laughs> <laughs> I fucking wish um right. what's her name Oh, I what's your address you can, find her, you can find her easily give me a photo well, you can, context clues you can find her easily especially because she like and she wrote an article about it that like blew up and in the article oh. she, yeah dude in the, in the article she wrote that like she, anyway basically i was like publicly cucked like you know in front of like on a on a, on a national scale they I read people. that article when it came me out. Too. I didn't know right. who they were. Yeah. yeah, dude. And now look at me. Now, now you know. Now you're close to. You're close to. I'm so close. Five, five feet from start. Five <laughs> inches from stardom. <laughs> and yeah, it was with James Dean. Was like this really bizarre because because we didn't break up after that. We got back together insanely. Um, and so James Dean was like this very bizarre, like big part of my life for like a year, and. uh yeah, so I've never finished The Canyons. I think I could probably go watch it now. I should probably try to do that. Um, but I think, but like the funny thing about that movie is like the the character that he's playing in that movie is like one hundred percent who he actually is. Like a sociopath kind yeah, of. Yeah, like a, a sociopath. Right. Well, he got. I mean, he got. I don't know if he shook off his Me Too or what, but he was like accused by of rape by like. Five... I don't think he shook it off. Yeah. I, oh, I don't think no, he, he's not in the industry anymore. You haven't seen him I, around I don't know for sure. Since but, then, yeah. no. He kind of just retired into private life, it seems like, anyway. I remember one of those stories was that, you know, he put his his fingers under his ball sack and said, hey, hey, you got to smell this to one oh. of his actresses on the set. And that was the end of his career. Holy that's not, that's uh, yeah. not harassment. You can't be doing, that's, can't be doing that's pranks. A good, that's a jackass. <laughs> you can't be doing segment. pranks on a porn set. What because come on now. <laughs> this is, it's rocking. What what's wrong with it? Yeah. yeah, it is funny that as long as you do that in Bam Margera's house, you can't get canceled. I know this yeah. woke this girl who's still her whole persona, she's got famous from it kind of as like being a woke person, like hyper woke or whatever. And her whole thing was like, Oh my god, I'm like best friends with James Dean, like very publicly, like yeah. best quote unquote best friends with James Dean, like they did web series together. Because James Dean in like twenty thirteen or whatever was like the hipster chicks porn star, right, basically, right. right? Like the nice guy porn star. And then, like, he got me too. And she was like, actually, this is like bullshit if you know the whole story. It's like your whole thing is being like a woke girl. And like, the minute anyone you're close to that can help your career, like, yeah, it's me too. You're like, actually. It's the Lena Dunham like, thing. Wasn't one, somebody on the set of Girls got me too. And she did a public defense of the person. And then her whole audience ate her. Yeah. And she yeah. had to walk of it back. Ironic. Usually, she's the one who eats. Oh, <laughs> uh, that was me. This is, this is not a women women hating podcast, right. Robbie. Please yeah. apologize. I'm sorry. <laughs> brave that she eats. It's very brave. <laughs> so, 
was her defense that no, that James Dean was just very mean to Nick. And yeah. She just canceled. <laughs> 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 he was actually. Yeah, he should have got kind of. Yeah. So I guess this I, was I no James Dean. I have no idea if that story is interesting. I like it. It's I like at this point I've kind of forgotten that it happened to me, or maybe I blocked it yeah, out. Maybe that seems like the is. best 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 solution it's, to that. What are horrific to do on a break to fuck a porn star? Very yeah, probably. and like and how quickly she set it up too. I mean, well, this this person is like a she's like a she's not doing well now either. Which I guess I can, I don't know if I should take some solace in that. It's a very sociopathic move by yeah. both parties. It's a narcissistic yeah. move. It's like you want to burn down the whole house if you feel someone has wronged you. Right. Yeah. Hans, but, uh, did you ever it's break up really... with your girlfriend and then sleep with a porn star immediately afterward? <laughs> no, because I would have to pay for that one. It's <laughs> yeah. different. You're right. Uh, Sorry. It's really, it's a really interesting story if you've read the article. Like, as soon as you said that, I was like, oh, I've read that. So I immediately connected it to... Oh, that's because it's it a, was very, like a viral it's a very, article. It was, yeah. It was, it was, Robbie, boy, do I know. <laughs> I remember reading that. I was at work. I was at, I was working my fucking, like, I think I was working at Jimmy John's. I was a young guy when it happened. I, so I was like working this like shitty fast food job when it dropped. And I remember like 30 minutes after it dropped, I was just like on my phone in the back. And I was just, I was just like tugged my boss on the sleeve. And I was like, I have to go home. I was like, I yeah. cannot. Ship. That is worst case ex like breakup scenario. Oh, so bad. For dude. sure. So but at bad. least you weren't. I guess you got it back with her, so it didn't even matter. It worked out in the end. Love conquers all, yeah. you know. <laughs> the hot wants what it wants, as as Woody Allen said. Uh, well, he did this film, and I, I guess this was his attempt to do like the Sasha Gray thing, where she worked with Soderbergh. On the girlfriend oh, experience, yeah. Yeah. did not go that way. I think IFC wound up buying the rights, and it went direct to DVD and Comcast on demand. Hans, would you consider this a horror movie? Uh, no. Was it supposed to be? A kind of. I mean, eh, it's got aspects. It's, got, it's like it's a dark hor- thriller, I would say. Yeah. It's horrific. I don't know if I would say it's a horror. <laughs> uh, Bringing the puns tonight, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I'm does trying. this movie? Does this movie look? I because I, I don't remember. Does this movie look no. good? Like, is this? No. It does. It looks bad. It, look, it, lo- it, it looks, looks like a porn shoot. Honestly, it, it kind of felt this right now. <laughs> Most of the movie kind of looks like his face right now. It was. It, it felt like an editor composed this away from Paul Schrader. Like he just gave up on the movie and somebody else finished it for him. Hmm. Anyway. Is that is that all we got for the canyons? I don't really know if there uh, is much uh, to say about it. Did anybody? Well, have... it's funny because it, it's more notable. It's one of those movies that's way more notable for that Hollywood Reporter story that, than like the film itself. Like the film itself didn't make any splash, but I remember hearing a lot about like the drama at the time because it was like part of like Lindsay Lohan's very public spiral. Yeah, and Paul and Paul Street, he was like in love with her during the shoot. He's into his his actress. He like he, he, he had a Facebook status like three months ago. He was like, "Oh, I fell in love with one of my actresses again today." But I guess we can't talk about that in today's climate. <laughs> it's like, well, dude, don't move. Paul, log It is it is incredible how like because you know because it's funny like there's a, there's a disconnect between like you know well I guess Scorsese doesn't write his movies 
But it's it's funny that Paul Schrader's characters are like he's Travis Bickle. They're just a direct reflection of of who he truly is. Autistic. Yeah, autistic, obsessed with women, terrified of sex. Didn't wasn't he like soliciting like uh, like sugar babies like online? Like didn't I see that? Oh no no no! He outed somebody. He outed some high profile. I think like Peter Bart or Peter Goober, one of those two guys, was on one of those types of websites, and he screen capped the profile and put it on (laughs) Facebook. Oh, he was white knighting. Yeah. So yeah, he's he's hilarious on there. There's there's I don't know if you guys have seen it. There's a great documentary that I, I believe Alex Ross Perry directed on Paul Schrader and his internet habits and ambient. <laughs> it's, I haven't seen that. It's very good. It was on the Criterion channel. It's like about 50 minutes, 60 minutes long. It's almost feature length. And it's uh, certainly worth viewing. After the Canyons, the next year, he does The Dying of the Light. And The Dying of the Light is a movie that I had uh, a lot invested in before it came out, because I saw my boy Refin was the producer on that, so I'm like, "Oh my god, we got Refin <laughs> and Schrader and Nick Cage." Okay, yeah. Now, uh, you know, th- this was before Nick Cage fully round the corner, so he was still kind of a joke during this time. He was still the Wicker Man, you know. Uh, right. He did have Kick Ass, I think, a couple of years before, which redeemed him in the eyes of some. But we've turned a corner where Nicolas Cage is celebrated for his bad movies. Now, that was not always the case. And Dying of the Light, I remember, raised an eyebrow or two. But you had Anton Yelchin. He's a very respectable actor in there. But so then... This is dead. Well, he, no, he, he was good before that. He was in uh, he was in Odd Thomas and the Star Trek movies. Oh, yeah. Green Room? Yeah. Was he in Green Room? He's that great in Green after. Room. That uh, was, yeah, he, that came out uh, he posthumously, dead. I believe. Yeah. Oh, right. So he's, he's, had, he's in some movie. I actually just watched. Didn't he die because his truck just he died. slowly crushed him? Yes, yeah, like that minion yeah. in one of the Austin Power movies where, where yeah. the tractor's coming <laughs> for him and he just yeah. waits for a minute and a half screaming no. That's yeah. how Anton Yelchin died. <laughs> and the last thing he did, according to IMDb, is Troll Hunter. So that's how oh. he will be remembered. Oh, yeah. oh what, the show? <laughs> yeah. Show. 52 episodes. Oh, he's in The Troll. Beaver. Oh, Beaver. Love The Beaver. We got. We love the beaver. We love the in this house. We love Mel Gibson's The Beaver. <laughs> so, Dying of the Light is taken away from him by the financiers, and they put out a very generic direct-to-DVD film, which he then releases his own version of using some of the dailies, which he could not get the original source media of, and I think what wound up happening with Dark was he winds up taking a more creative approach and handling uh, how some of that footage looks. And something that I've taken for uh, some of my projects that I've worked on, which is essentially just you, you hold up your cell phone to the, to the screen and record the screen. And then all of a sudden you have like a l- cool looking image. Now he does this for like stretches of time with Nicolas Cage as he's losing his memory in this film. And, uh, you know, maybe not as quick and concise like a music video like he could have. But what what did you guys think of Dark or The Dying of the Light? Um, I saw I still haven't seen Dark actually, but I saw the DVD cut of Dying of the Light, and it's weird because it because he even protested it. There were those um, pictures of like him, Nicolas Cage, and Anton Yelchin protesting. They had those shirts made. I can't remember what they said. 
Um, but like protesting the cut being taken away from Paul Schrader, obviously the DVD cut, like it doesn't even feel like he directed it, but I do think the performances in it, specifically Anton Yelchin's performance are worth watching because Anton Yelchin seems to almost be modeling his performance after Nicolas Cage in that movie. And, uh, that alone, I think is, it's like, it's interesting to see. Not a great movie. It has a lot of really good lines, though. There's it's a interesting. Line, there's an Obama line that I wrote this over here. It's like, you got right. your head so far up Obama's ass, you can't see anything except his shit anymore. That yeah. made me laugh. That's an awesome line. <laughs> You've got your head right up Obama's ass. You can't that, see anything anymore. I, that does sound like a tweet that Hans would write. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and he does brown face at the end, right? He like poses in a Ar- yes. Art. He's like, he's like, I'm Iranian, and everyone's like, yes, this this way, dog. <laughs> very Team America of him. Man. Yeah, you know, like, well, even at Team America, that I feel like they did more attempt to do the voice. But um, it's funny because so I um I'm very there's like you see a lot of this kind of there's a lot there's a huge amount of movies that people don't even know about. Like in the pandemic, they've come more to light of just like super low budget movies featuring like once famous people from like 2005 2006 in like super b movie thriller settings uh there's like a ton of these kinds of movies come out nobody talks about them uh like russell crowe unhinged people talk about that one but that's like a good example of it and it's it's funny how much they took a paul schrader movie and just made it exactly like one of those kinds of movies and it's and it is interesting that like micro genre, and this is just like such like all right, what is the maximum amount of like I don't know, bankability for that sphere? But then dark is super interesting. Like I don't know if it works great as a movie, but as like an exercise in like taking back your movie, it's fascinating. I think. And to date, nobody has come after him, as far as I know. Nobody, he hasn't gotten in trouble for releasing that on Pirate Bay. Yeah, it it is definitely interesting. I agree. Hans, did you watch The Dying of the Light or did you watch Dark? No, I didn't watch Dark. I didn't even know that was you know, they were connected at all. I just watched Dying of the Light because that was on the list that you gave me. <laughs> I, I, I feel like I definitely mentioned Dark. I, I There's no way I gave you the list without mentioning it before. I feel like I gave you two lists. I might have forgot one or two movies the second time around. That's going to be my defense here. Yeah. So The Dying of the Light. Yeah. The Dying of the Light puts such a sour taste in his mouth that he works again with Nicolas Cage and brings in Willem Dafoe and essentially says, we're going to do our own movie. And that becomes Dog Eat Dog, which I think is a very interesting, funny, and clever film, especially uh, you know, given the circumstance of the release. What did you guys think of Dog Eat Dog? Um, I can't think of another Paul. I don't, I do, I think I liked it. I've only seen it <laughs> once. I do think I liked it. I can't think of another Paul Schrader movie that it's like, though. It's yeah. it's like, especially like by the end, it is so fucking like off the wall. And part of that might be because you can tell that like Nicolas Cage had a lot of input <laughs> towards like, especially towards the end of the movie. Like a lot of those ideas feel like ideas that we've seen Nicolas Cage implement in other movies. Like, I have no doubt that the Humphrey Bogart thing was his idea. Um, it's super entertaining. I don't know if it's one of Paul Schrader's great works, but it's worth watching. 
I kind of love Dog Eat Dog. I think it's like, it's just candy. It's so watch. If we're talking about watchability, <laughs> it's so fun to watch. I don't know if it's a great movie. I don't think it. I couldn't. I don't know if I'd even recommend it to people. But it's so stylistically, like it's so stylized in a way yeah. that he doesn't do. It feels almost like an Oliver Stone natural born killers or something. Yeah, and, that's not a bad uh, comparison. That oh, that scene of Willem Dafoe in like the first ten minutes just slitting his fat wife's throat. Yes, like, <laughs> fuck, I I loved that. I mean, it was it, that was like Tarantino y like funny violence. Too. I, w- I, mean, I was yeah. gonna say this movie goes through three different periods. I feel like three different directors, and there is absolutely a lot of that Tarantino feeling. You know, this is based on a a book by Eddie Bunker, who he, I think he plays Mister Blue in Reservoir Dogs. So I yeah. feel like that had to be. Right floating around Paul Schrader's head. A good portion of the movie does kind of feel like Reservoir Dogs. And then that ending feels, I would say something more like David Lynch, like late 80s, early 90s. It's David weird. Lynch. Yeah. 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 It's yeah, weird. And, and also, it's dreamlike because it's, it's super dreamlike. Yeah. Or nightmares. Of, of Refn in it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And usually I hate Tarantino ripoff movies. Like I usually, or not ripoff, but like anything influenced, like I, I, I usually hate like super wacky crime shit, but this one really works maybe just because Paul Schrader is attached, so I took it more seriously. But I also think it's, like, genuinely, like, interesting and fun to watch in, in a way that uh, – and not forced. I don't think it's forced at all. I think it's, like it, – it's just it, – it's, it's a fun ride. It's, like, a good ride. Yeah. It's a, a, ba- a bad Nicolas Cage, but it's the enjoyably bad Nicolas Cage. And then Willem Dafoe goes all out, too, just yes. to, mat- I guess, match his level of Nicolas Cage-ness. Uh, and it, it is a lot of fun. I, I thought tri- uh, visually it was very trippy and interesting, more than I, I was expecting, and more uh, violent than I would ex- was expecting to. I wasn't expecting to show so much of it. So, Doggy Dog, in my opinion, you know, you, when you're when you're one of these acclaimed filmmakers, it seems like you wind up in a slog for a while, and you make the same kind of film over and over, and it generally doesn't get any better. They wind up middling. You master your style and condense that into something that becomes each of your films from there on out. And, uh, you know, eventually you just, you know, die in your career, so to speak. <laughs> and what, what it feels like here is Paul Schrader was very aware of that slog that led up to Dog Eat Dog. And this movie is just kind of a creative explosion that it, it works in, in fun ways. It doesn't always work creatively, but it's an interesting movie. And I feel like without this film... You don't get to something like First Reformed where he makes his first great movie in quite a while. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, are we talking about First Reformed now? Yeah, let's, let's finally get to uh, First <laughs> yeah. Reformed. Hans, well, you I watched was, this today, sh- didn't you? I will say, yeah. like, the trans- doggy dog to First Reformed is, is crazy whiplash. Yeah, like, and it's, it, the same, it is. it's the same cinematographer, which, like, blew my mind. It's, 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 it could, they could not be two more different move if like on the spectrum of paul schrader's kind of career I, they're completely on the opposite end but they're both great like yeah. what an awesome late career resurgence honestly since dying of the light rest in peace yeah may he rest in peace rest in peace paul schrader <laughs> uh let's first reformed is my i think it's his best movie Interesting. Okay. I don't know if I would go that far. I definitely think it's one of his best. And th- I mean, this is a great example of what happens when you give one of these filmmakers who maybe is not in their prime a little bit of money to do a serious film. I feel like 
for for Spike Lee, that movie was Black Klansman. Even though, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that I don't I don't think that movie is actually as good as First Reformed. And uh, you know, as much as I liked mm-hmm. it upon initial viewing, just because I'm a Spike Lee fan, I went back and I watched it recently. I'm like, this is a stupid movie. This movie fucking blows. <laughs> I really, I really liked it the, when I saw it too, but I am afraid to rewatch just because, like, everyone I respect is like, no, this is actually. Yeah, trash. yeah, yeah. I think it was just uh, like, oh, Spike Lee, the 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 fun of having Spike Lee back and make a a serious Competent. film. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, and, and it's always nice when an old guy makes an energetic movie, right? Just in general, you know. Yeah. So Hans, I I, I want to hear what your opinion was on First Reform since you have probably the movie <clears throat> freshest in your brain. You watched it today. You posted about it. Yeah, I. Uh, it's really hard to believe that the same cinematographer did both things. I mean, I guess it shows that he's very talented because this was really visually interesting, even though it was very um, subdued, I guess you could say, uh, when it comes to uh, colors and the, the shots. He used a lot of very static shots of nothing moving uh, a lot of the time that... Uh, I've really enjoyed that part of it. And uh, what's his name? Um, Ethan Hawke. The actor. Ethan Hawke is great in it. Uh, his performance elevated everyone else's, I think. Uh, and I even like Saturday the Entertainer, who's I'm not a huge fan of. Oh, he's great of, in this movie. I, yeah, he's, he's awesome. great in this. Yeah. Well, he's actually yeah. billed in this movie as Cedric, Cedric the dramatic actor. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, I, I thought the, the story of a horny priest that wanted to stop being horny and then went back to being horny was interesting. <laughs> I, 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 I enjoyed it a, a, more than I thought I would because, I mean, I remember you telling me that that it was very accessible, that I would, you know, like it. But I, I for the little bit that I had seen before, I wasn't very impressed because I guess I just wasn't paying enough attention. But I, I really enjoyed it, yeah. Uh, the thing, I mean, the thing that I love about Paul Schrader movies is um, there's no... Uh, his protagonists are always inarguably correct. There's no moral gray area. And similar... <laughs> Robert <laughs> like, De Niro is always the hero. Right. If you watch Taxi Driver, you know De Niro is always the hero. You can trust him <laughs> to do the right thing. I felt the same way. When I watched First Reformed, I was like, he's great. I'm going to copy all of that. Yeah. This is my it's so funny because I remember because Nick and I talked about it when it came out and it was like we both loved it, but it was like we had seen different movies. I was like, this is a good like cautionary tale about like the nature of obsession and like, uh, you know, trying to be too much of a moral crusader. And Nick was like, I think I had the right ideas. <laughs> <laughs> well, is his life. Ju- I mean, it just the shot of him watching people getting fucking blown up on live leak, but just like, yeah, you know, it's like 2 AM. His face is illuminated by like just the laptop screen. And I'm like, buddy, I have been there. She's drinking. Yeah. 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 I, the Pepto Bismol with whiskey thing. I've, I identify with that a lot. <laughs> yeah. Just, just it's... drinking whiskey, watching live leak, not going to the doctor. I got that down, dude. This yeah, is well, just favorite. getting like furious over things that are so out of your control, like yeah. that you're just reading about online, like that. That is something that, like, that's tapping into something that's really going on right now, you know? Yeah, I know. yeah. If, if, if the movie was about, if he was just watching videos of like Michelle Obama, I think that Hans would have gotten the movie even yeah, more. Right? Yeah. It's just him like flipping out. <laughs> He's watching Infowars. <laughs> <laughs> These globalists. <laughs> God hates these globalists. Um, yeah, I, well, so with, let's. It's actually this is actually kind of an interesting conversation. If I could ask you guys this, because 
Robbie, the way that you read the movie, and I think that's the way a lot of people read the movie, um, I I understand why you would read the movie that way. But then Paul Schrader had that Facebook post yeah. where he was kind of like, no, uh, everything in first, like, we need to do, we need right. to be as extreme. I So I did an episode, I believe, on First Reformed when I was just starting this podcast. And I, I had on uh, Jacob A. Miller, who has his own podcast, Dissecting Cinema, which everybody should check out. And we were talking about, did he accidentally make like a, a, a great film, even though he might have the exact perspective as Ethan Hawke, that he might be a psychopath yeah. who, who thinks we should start act, enacting violence to change things? And the consensus was kind of yes, because that yeah, does right. seem to be Paul Schrader's perspective. Like he does not, he doesn't have Robbie's opinion here in that uh, maybe that might be too extreme to fix things. But- He's got a point as well. So. Right. Well, I I read or I was listening to an interview with Scorsese talking about Taxi Driver and, you know, they're very similar where Scorsese's like, the thing is, uh, the ending, it's a ama- it's great because it's clearly Travis is a psychopath because if he had killed the politician, he would have been hailed as a villain. But if he but he killed the right people, so he's hailed as a hero. Uh, so it's about um uh, but either way, he just wanted to kill somebody. He's just a psychopath, and that's supposed that should be condemned. But it's about the nature of what we like would laud in society. <laughs> Meanwhile, Paul Schrader just could have been one of those guys who's just like, yeah, get him, get him, Travis. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, he kind of is, though. I mean, I think that's I think that's kind of true about Paul Schrader protagonists. Is they're very true to his actual to 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 the way that he actually views the world as extreme but, as that may be. but here's the thing i think if he genuinely was maybe i think it might be like kanye where maybe he can't articulate his 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 art is more genius than he himself can like comprehend because ethan hawk once he goes down that rabbit hole he does not end up in a good place and he doesn't fix anything you know right. he, he just blows it all and kills himself basically uh, and like ruins, like he just ruins what? everything. No, I what? saw him and Amanda Seyfried kiss. They were so happy together. It was a happy <laughs> ending, Rob. You watched the wrong movie. You must have watched oh, Four I'm Lines sorry. or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I just couldn't think of this. Like I don't see anyone walking out of the movie being. I don't, but I don't know. But that's the thing. It's it's, it's like a Rorschach test, I guess. And maybe it, it also raises the question, like how much did like the intent of what the artist was trying to get across even like does that matter that like how much do, do you weigh that when it comes to the actual impact of the art itself yeah it's complicated i think I, really don't, I don't i think that there is i think that he put that an eco-terrorist message in there because there's like it complete it's the kind of thing where everyone can see where ethan hawk is coming from but I doubt a lot of people would be like, yeah, he did the right thing by trying to, like, bomb his own small church and then, like, wrapping himself in coil or whatever. Well, no. Well, hang on, hang on. That, that's, that is uh, the part where I disagree with Ethan Hawke is that that's, that's, a, that's, the wrong, uh, that's the wrong thing to do. I'll say it. I'll come out. I'll, I'll... <laughs> <laughs> like, I know you this is the popular s- opinion, but. I'm you gonna... blow someone, someone else's church, not your own. Yeah, yeah and right. Hans has the right idea. Um. No, of course, but I, but I'm, I, he is 100% a sympathetic protagonist, and you understand, and you can certainly understand 
why, especially considering his beliefs, and he and he's a man who's true to those beliefs, you can understand why he feels the sense of urgency that he does. And you can also understand that, like, it's not like Cedric Kyles is a completely uh, objective voice in that either. He obviously has interest in continuing to receive funding from the corporation. I th I th I think it is. I think it's. I think it is a very complicated examination. This is why the gray area is is amazing because even though Cedric is like, 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 Ethan Hawke is morally cor like correct in his beliefs, but mm -hmm. his actions are it like it, it's the same fucking thing as uh, uh like Maoism. Like there's a lot of like uh, uh, beliefs that are right and just, but it's how you enact those and how you, and what you do to deal with them that can be sinful. Because he was his plan was to kill people, which Twitter, is Robbie, which is Twitter is not gonna like this. <laughs> I'll come out and say it. Mal, not good. <laughs> looks kind of a guy. guy. I've talked to him. I talked to him. There's nothing there. There's nothing there. <laughs> I think I Big think you guys are guy. I think you guys are reading too much into it. To me, this movie was just a guy that hasn't come in like twenty years getting radicalized <laughs> quickly. Because his balls got full with this blonde girl, and then all of a sudden he's like, "Well, what am I gonna do? Come or save the world?" And then uh, <laughs> it's like, yeah, well, it's about how like true love is like can be the salvation out of the darkness. Like it's kind of a schmaltzy point in a way. Well, but... well, no, I mean, it's, it's not. It's just opening yourself up to people. He won't open right. up to people, mm -hmm. and if he would just open up to somebody, he might not be as he might not have been radicalized to the extent that he was. But, right, right. Oh, so to circle back though, like Cedric was like he's evil in a lot of sense where he takes money, but he was right to tell him you need to go to rehab and you need to not obsess over this shit too much. Like that was like good practical. Like he's not a fully like no like it's like the hero. It, it's all gray area shit, which is like I love that. I love like movies that sit in that. You know, you can't just say he's a good guy or a bad guy. Except for Travis Bickle, who was a who's a great guy, unabashed good guy. No, and, he's one of the oh, Travis Bickle and, is one and of the, De Niro and Cape Fear, who's also an unabashed. Oh, one of, Max Cady, yes. one of the all-time guys. One of the all-time guys. Dude's rock. He's a dude's rock uh, icon. <laughs> one of my favorite things I picked up from this movie, from I, you know, I bought it for like four ninety nine at CVS at the local CVS. They had Dog Eat Dog too, and I went back and I I didn't buy it the first time I saw it. I really regret that. Uh, somebody picked it up over First Reformed and went home with it. Uh, one of the things that I, I grabbed from the commentary is that there's a lot of stock footage in this movie that Paul Schrader utilized. So he took yeah. that independent spirit from, uh, I guess, Dying of the Light and, and Dog Eat Dog and applied it here by going to like Pond5.com, for, especially for that floating sequence, that really cheesy floating sequence oh, where... Yeah. What are they? They astrally project oh, yeah. together. Magical, magical yeah. mystery yeah. tour. A lot of people really don't like that scene. I didn't mind it. Did you? Did you guys hate that scene? That, I mean, that took that me out of the movie for about two minutes. But luckily, well, every everything else is so great that it. I mean, it's one little blip. I love. I love that. Scene. I mean, I think it's very clear that that scene, much like the ending, did not happen. There are a lot of. It was coming. He was what? first time I watched it. He was, was, he like, was coming in that interaction. Yeah. He finally was touching a woman. <laughs> it's he literally was the fucking Big Lebowski. <laughs> <laughs> but you're supposed to take it seriously. <laughs> oh, I, 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 def, I liked that scene a lot. I uh, actually like thing, it too, but it, it's out of place. I think the only thing that threw me off is that the footage is so like this. It is clearly stock footage. It's digital. Mm -hmm. It looks something about it looks off in comparison to. To them, yeah, very YouTube to mp4.com. Yes. Yeah. 
once again, like Austin Powers, just clear fucking stock footage right behind. So the first time I saw it, I was like, is the ending real or not? Like Taxi Driver. But this, t- the second watch, I was like, this is clearly, it's so, it could not be more clear that, that, that that's yeah. the ending. Because the door is locked. Cedric Kyle's like can't get the door open, and then she's in there. I waited for you. Hi, yeah. Right. It's too crazy. Yeah, and this so was. So when does he die? Is he dying? When is he like enacting the dream because he's about to die? Basically, you think? Hmm. <laughs> Probably. Does he drink the I, drain? I or? think it's assumed that he 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 drinks the draino, and that's the end of him, right? So. I, I don't know. That was my perception of the ending anyway. I know that Paul Schrader did make this film, or at least its ending, in response to that debate over the taxi driver ending where, you know, it is up in the air. He didn't really have an idea in his head as to that being a dream sequence. We're supposed to interpret it as is if you accept the Paul Schrader uh, vision of that. Whereas mm. this one is supposed to be choose-your-own-adventure ending, I suppose. Mm. Nice. I think Taxi Driver is for sure not a dream, Cause, just because t- the way Scorsese talks about it, like, like that the grand theme of the movie it, it is dependent on that being a actual, right? Um, really? Even though he actually, got, I mean, I know this is probably a pretty rote discussion at this point, but he, he got uh, shot. I want to talk about Taxi. I love Taxi Driver. Yeah, I love it too. But yeah, I don't know. I guess I've I've always the seen people, Taxi Driver as one. George Orwell got shot in the neck and lived. People get shot in the neck and live. All right. Yeah, I I, we'll I, I, I've watched countless episodes of I Almost Died where people get shot in the head and are totally fine within like yeah, five days. The That's the big lesson. You can shoot someone in the head and they'll probably survive most of the time. Home, you can do it. <laughs> <laughs> if there's some issue you're real riled up about, go out there and get some something done. <laughs> it's it's kind of like uh, Possessor. Have you guys seen Possessor where Sean Bean's no, face... No, I, I can't wait, though. His, oh, I sorry. Anyway, I won't say anything then, but uh, a character's <laughs> face, ignore the actor I just named, has his head destroyed, and then he looks totally fine the next day. He's all right. That's cool. Anyway, First Reformed, I think, would be a great ending for Paul Schrader's career, but he does have a film that he was very upset got paused due to COVID. Somebody on like the uh the secondary crew contracted covid and they had to shut down production for a while uh, he's got the card counter coming out i believe next year with oscar isaac ty sheridan tiffany haddish and willem dafoe he gets unbelievable casts so the cast is good but because you know that doesn't mean that much what, what, i'm excited though i love I love Oscar Isaac. He's very good. What has he done recently, though, that's been great? Has he just been tied up with Disney and the Star Wars movies, not being able to do quality? I feel like, the, I feel like it's yeah. been 2013, 2014, 2015 since Oscar Isaac was really good in something. Yeah. I feel like I just saw him in something that I like. I don't know if it was recent, though. Lou and Davis is just, like, one of my favorite movies of all time. Though, Excellent so. movie. Yeah. I oh, he was love in... Um... Davis. Oh, I, I, uh, uh, Annihilation and At Eternity's Gate. I liked him in At Eternity's Gate. Um, he was. Well, you didn't, you didn't like The Rise it. of Skywalker? No, I loved it. Yeah. The Adams Family? He was, uh, oh, Gomez's right. voice. Yes, no, he's Gomez yeah. Adams. That's right. Yeah. Thank X- you, Hans. X Men Apocalypse, Brian Singer's Swan Song. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh Annihilation he's in. That was all yeah. right. 
Yeah, yeah, and, and, and yeah, that uh, Van Gogh movie with uh, Defoe, he was pretty good in. It, it's yes. been a minute though, but yeah, he really crushed like 2013 to 2015. There's just so many good ones in there that it's like, oh shit. Ex Machina. Yeah. Uh, Nocturnal Animals. He wasn't that. No, he wasn't uh, Most Violent Year. That was yeah, good. that one. Most yeah. Violent Year, Lewin Davis. Yeah, a movie that has very limited violence in that. It's one person, I believe, shooting himself in the head at the end of the movie, a Most Violent Year. Yeah. 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 I had a friend who recommended the movie, and he was like, yeah, my friend got mad at me because I recommended it, and there was no violence in it. Yeah, it's mostly, it's mostly just like it, – it is mostly just like business disputes with like yep. other trucking yep. companies. Yeah. And it's the guy yeah, from so- the, the CBS hit – drama scorpion which also started uh, some runner-up from american idol the taylor hicks year who's the runner-up Hans? <laughs> i know you're a big american idol guy <laughs> yeah uh, it was uh pickler <laughs> kelly pickler <laughs> <laughs> i watched that every episode that season oh boy <laughs> i rode with taylor hicks I was I was thrilled when Taylor Hicks won. I even won, I had bought his CD when it came out. That's how me happy too. I was. I was so into Taylor Hicks. <laughs> Dude, I went to see after he <laughs> a couple years after he won. We went to go see um, like as a family. I think I was like in middle school still. We went to go see uh, Greece at the Hippodrome in Baltimore, and they rode in this like in the middle of this pretty middling uh, production of Greece. There's a part where Taylor Hicks descended from the rafters <laughs> and sang Earth Angel, and then they lifted him back up, and that was the uh, – he, he just did that. That was all that's, he that's, did. Wow. That's a role in Greece, though. He's just like – there's just like this guy, uh, this angel character that just comes in for two songs in the play. Uh, well, they well they got Taylor Hicks for the for the Baltimore Hippodrome run that's of Greece. all they could that's afford from Taylor good Hicks. Get. Yeah, I, I, one of my that? favorite things is that he What's... he got pretty fat and then started doing cruises. He just sings on cruises now for a living. Uh, oh, yeah. None of the American Idol. The only one that like had a career was fucking Chris Daughtry. Daughtry, dude. Oh my god, I could listen to some Daughtry right now. <laughs> yeah, he got well, rigged out that season. He got he got fourth place. Yeah. yeah. When I was a kid, there was only two shows my mom let me. My, I was allowed to watch my mom's house with the family. It was American Idol and Lost, and I was into both equally <laughs> at the time. Uh, I remember being so into American Idol that I was, like, pissed off that Sanjaya was getting through. I was like, <laughs> they're, ruining, they're ruining the integrity of the show. I'm, I'm pretty sure that I bought, I think that I got Clay Aiken's Measure of a Man. It was called wow. Measure of a Man. I think I oh got his God. CD. That is the his... worst thing you've revealed on this show tonight. <laughs> With the hit single the Invisible, thing. If I Was Invisible. And I got that for Christmas, and then I think I got I think I got something from Bo Bice as well. Oh, it was a big American household. Yes. Yeah. Well, that was like a phenomenon. It was a phenomenon show. It was huge. Ruben Stutter didn't really have much of a career. He did Biggest Loser instead. Many years he's later. In, he's in the credits of Scooby Doo. The what? The new one or the the, uh, one the, from the James Gunn one? Yeah, the old one. Oh, he's man. he's singing with all with the gang. <laughs> Great. That well, movie is great because I remember being so scared of Scrappy Doo when I saw that. <laughs> <I was kid. laughs> like, Scrappy, I thought he was a nice little kid. <laughs> I love that so much because I was a big Scooby Doo fan when I was a child. And I was pissed they didn't put Scrappy Doo in that movie. So when Scrappy Doo popped up in Mr. Bean's head, oh God, I was thrilled in the theater. I was jumping up and down in my seat. I was the happiest little boy 
in town. Yeah. Um, they didn't forget Scrappy. Yes. <laughs> I that I, I rewatched like, that scene where Scrappy transforms into like an evil monster, and I'm like, this is scary. This is still kind of scary for like for a kids' movie, a little too scary. Thirty year old man watching Scooby Doo getting scared, getting scared about Scrappy Doo coming out the wrong way. <laughs> Well, yeah, when so there's, uh, I think, I think look, it was like 25 when, when that shit came out. When there, when I, I, yeah. <laughs> I was 12 when it came out. Hans was look, watching Scooby Doo back in the 70s. He remembers the Harlem Globetrotters being on there when he was a kid. He <laughs> yeah. tuned in on, on yeah. CBS. I remember the, the original Ghostbusters, the one with the gorilla. Ha- Hans yes. was really good. Oh, that's Hans, a new one. His favorite show is uh, Scooby Doo meets Gerald. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh,. uh <laughs> Anyway, that's been. Uh, I, I mean, we we've really covered the gamut for uh, Paul Schrader, right? Did we miss yeah, anything he, important in his filmography? Is there anything that he wrote but didn't direct that's like big that we might have missed? Oh, I, I wanted to mention something about uh, because I I did Google that Mish, Mishi Mushu whatever it's called Mish, Mashima Mashina, uh, and his brother has written a bunch of Asian movies. Well, nice. you yeah, guys know well, Weeb. They wrote the Yakuza together, right? If I'm not mistaken. Yes. And yeah. um, I'm trying to think. I'm looking to see if there is. Oh, we didn't cover Forever Mine. I don't even think I've seen that one. What about Tarantino using cat people in Inglorious Bastards? That's kind of like an iconic. Uh, he kind of took it, that song, and now it's way more tied to bastards and the cat people it definitely is i, I remember being uh pulled out of the movie when david bowie came up in that scene because i don't think there's a use of pop music to that point i could be no, wrong about that modern, it's, no it's the only modern song he uses in the movie the rest is like western scores yeah that's why i didn't well it did still i guess he was trying to like ease you into that by using like iconic spaghetti western scores and be like okay that's kind of but it's they're still like orchestral. Yeah, I remember being like, "What the fuck is going on when you, when those uh, synths hit?" Was that a play on on the comic book Mouse, where the Jews were rats? <laughs> Am I reading too much? Yeah, that was only Mouse. Yeah. That was only the comic book Mouse yeah. where that was a trope. Um, yeah. Also, I think the Jews were mice, Hans. I don't think they were rats. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Same thing. Yeah. Well, Mouse is anti-Semitic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I what felt the Mouse, same way. They did a reboot of Mouse where he like crossed over with other comic books, like Superman meets Mouse or something. A shared Mouse. universe, shared universe. That's Zack Snyder's yeah. Justice League. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's get Mouse in the Justice League. Um, um, oh, I, I just want to say, Raging Bull. I also this is like a classic, like fucking guy movie. But I rewatched it. I didn't like it when I was a kid, actually. I was, but I re, but I rewatched it. I think you need some life experience to really enjoy that movie. Cause you mean you didn't like a three-hour boxing drama in black and white when you were a boy, <laughs> when you were a child? You couldn't yeah. palate that. Well, it's funny because I loved Goodfellas and like Casino, and I was like, all right, this is gonna be just like that. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? This is boring as shit. Where's the yelling? Punch- just punching yeah. his wife, which yeah. yeah. <laughs> But I think Raging Bull is is stellar. It's because I love. It's like he's not even an anti-hero. He's just a piece of shit. The whole movie, and I really like that. I like that they don't let him off the hook at all. Did you ever see Raging Bull Two? What is that real? Yeah, there's there's a Raging Bull. I mean, it's unofficial because they couldn't get the t- uh, the title Raging Bull. But it was initially put into production as Raging Bull Two at some major uh, company, and then the talent fell out. 
and the whole project got shifted to some like B movie uh, uh, production company, and they took the same story and everything because Jake LaMotta, uh, and they made this movie with I think William Forsythe or some I don't, some some random oh. actor like that played Jake LaMotta instead. Hans, you would probably know him from horror movies. He's a big horror movie actor. I don't know. Right. It's in, too um, funny. If you go to pizza places around here, they have like posters of Jake LaMotta up. It's like, why are you idolizing this guy? He's like, the movie's about how pathetic he is. The Bronx Bull? Is that what the you're talking Bronx about? The Bronx Bull. No. That's right. Robbie. Oh, I heard about that. Yeah. Robbie, I thought that we, we, Robbie, we've been over this. Paul Schrader protagonists. They're cool. They're the good guy. Every time <laughs> you hang pictures of those guys, it would be so. How funny would it be if like a pizza place just had a picture of Travis Bickle like over the fucking tables? <laughs> pictures of Bob Crane hung up. Yeah. <laughs> That's what's funny is you talking to me. That's like the default De Niro line. Impre- that was a horrifying moment in that movie. That was a man having a fucking psychotic break and planning to murder a politician. It's weird that fucking line took off because he's not being even that De Niro-y in that line. He's just kind of like. You talking to me? You talk like, but like every De Niro impressionist starts off with "You talking to me?" It's, it's weird. That's the line. Do you guys think that he can keep up the momentum with the card counter? Because obviously Oscar Isaac is a very talented actor. I don't think A twenty four picked this movie up or any real major studio. So it seems like he kind of drifts off a bit when he doesn't have that sort of backing behind him. It, it's worth noting, I think this is correct. Obviously, it was updated to like fit within 2017, 2018, but I'm pretty sure First Reformed was an older screenplay. I think he had had it for a while. Really? Hmm. Yeah. That, that, it's so I, modern because of the tech shit. Well, yeah, yeah, but you could see how it would be easy to update that. Because Paul Schrader is obsessed with um, Brisson, I think. Like Diary of a Country Priest specifically is like the movie that he always refers yes. back to. And First Reformed is him doing Diary of a Country Priest. So I would buy that he's had that he was sitting on that screenplay for a while. Um, I don't I mean, the card counter could be interesting, but I I would hedge my expectations for it to be something more like Doggy Dog or even Dying of the Light than another First Reformed. I agree. I'm inclined to agree with Nick. First Reformed feels like his like grand finale opus. It's kind of weird that he's doing like a, a bonus, honestly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of like like Woody Allen, like what he did after, like Blue Jasmine felt like a gr- like a good finale, kind of like that mainstream big thing. And it, it, it reminds me of him, like the stuff he's doing after that. If I, I'm, I'm assuming, I don't know, it could be great, but I've had that same thing. thought about Lars von Trier with the house that Jack built, where he he literally summarizes his career and his critics in that movie, and yet he has, I, I think, like a, a film that's a bunch of. Uh, short films in a feature length mold coming out next. And I don't know what he's going to do after that. Hans, you were going to say something. He, uh, he's using the same cinematographer as uh, first reformed and dog eat stock. So at least visually it should be interesting. Depends on where, what he, where he goes to, if he go, goes to balls out or restrain himself a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if it's like a working poster, but I did think the poster looked a little like cheap or cheesy or something. Oh, I haven't yeah. seen this poster. Let me take a look real quick. It just looked like 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 fan art even. Oh jeez, that's that's never a good sign. If you uh. can't hire a good poster person. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Um, all right, not 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 
terrible. It does feel like fan. I definitely see what you're seeing here, where somebody would have this on like their deviant art profile if they were yeah. going to make a mock up to an older film. Yeah. Yeah. It, it reminds me of like what you see on Reddit, like, "Hey guys, I made a poster for this movie that I like. What do you think?" Yeah, like our minimal minimal art post. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Something like that. Really, uh... like a very highly upvoted one. But mm -hmm. <laughs> well, we'll we'll just have to wait and see, I suppose. I'll, I'll definitely be checking out the card counter. I'm intrigued, if nothing else, and uh, hopefully we're proven wrong in our expectations. So. I think that's going to do I, it for, for, oh, you got something else? Sorry, one last thing. I, yeah. I think what we've like learned through this episode is like even when his movies aren't that great, there's always something worthwhile in them. He's never made a total fucking, like, total piece of shit. I Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, well, like, seriously, watch, Asim, watch Adam Resurrected. It is a mess, but it's one of the most interesting messes. And, and competently made, too. It's not even like it's poor. Like, it looks good, but it's just fucking weird. Yeah. Hans, I mean, you probably have the least familiarity with Paul Schrader among the four of us. What is yeah. your big takeaway after checking out uh, these these films that were assigned? Uh, he's at least interesting filmmaker. I think his stories. Uh, uh, I, I find it really interesting that, like you guys said, uh, it's a lot of sex and also fear of sex, which is always horny but also fear of everyone finding out that i'm horny type of thing uh and uh they they all have like a distinctive look that makes them very realistic too like it, it feels the, the characters feel very grounded uh and even the ones where where they're you know nicholas gagey like it's still the movie doesn't feel like that like he i feel like he's got like a a style that just grounds the story and makes it feel really real i guess um yeah he it, i and, think uh, that is definitely his strength is characters who are weak to their impulses and make rash decisions and, and they're, all, they're all flawed too that's that's the interesting part of that it's never just one person that's fully good or fully bad they all have things that you can like uh and and then question your own self when you're done with it what was your favorite what was your favorite of the pile uh Probably first reformed. Yeah, to be I, honest. Yeah. I mean, I did. I don't think I really did him justice by throwing in the the canyons and dominion over Mishima. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. hardcore I enjoyed a lot, but I, I do agree that visually it's not as interesting as the rest of his movies. But that performance, uh, what is it, George C. Scott? Yeah, George C. Scott. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and then Who's Peter Boyle like won me over just because I'm a, I'm a huge fan of him. Have you guys ever uh, seen? And, uh, um, uh, the movie Joe with Peter Boyle. Yeah. That's another good underrated late 70s uh, dark character movie. That that movie kind of almost feels like um, there's a lot of like proto Paul Schrader themes in that movie. Like that, like it seems like a clumsier version of like the protagonist, like like a man who's fed up with society who goes too far. Yeah. It's about Joe Cumia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It does feel like in that taxi driver vein, or or even maybe something like hardcore. I agree. So that has been movies for this episode. How about you guys give all of your plugs, Robbie? You can start off. Uh, yeah, uh, at Loud Boys Pod on Instagram and Twitter. I have a podcast called The Loud Boys. Uh, it's funny. I promise. Uh, check it out. It's really good. Uh, 
I'm very proud of it. At Robbie Goodwin on Twitter and Instagram too. Twitter, I'm locked out right now. Uh, what did you do? But, what did you yell at Michelle Obama, Robbie? Yeah. I called I called Tim Pool a retard. Oh. <laughs> so I only got locked out for one day, but I just get so like uh, mad. I, I I was like I'm just gonna like like keep out of it till after the election. So my, my last my last thing on my Twitter is. Uh, retweeting Adam Sandler saying R.I.P. Chadwick Boseman. <laughs> so, <laughs> so if you want to see that tweet, check out my Twitter account. <laughs> Great. And how about you, Nick? Um, you can listen to my podcast, uh, Coward Hour. I do with Brendan Crick. Uh, if you thought the story that I shared on here was humiliating or funny, we do we do something like that every week on Coward Hour. Uh, it's just a you know comedy podcast, current events, least in, the least informed current events podcast. Today. And you guys just started a patron, right? We did, yeah, we did just start a Patreon. So if you like it, uh, we've been we do um, a bonus episode a week, so four bonuses a month, and also like fifty forbidden episodes that we locked because we were in a very different place when the podcast started. There were a lot, we were positing a lot of uh, what some people might might categorize as extreme right wing theories. <laughs> so right. if you want to hear those, just pay five bucks a month. And if you want to hear. If you want to hear Nick saying the N-word over and over again, go to their <laughs> Patreon and pay five bucks. <laughs> but he was saying it for social justice. Yeah, I was yeah. I was quoting somebody. Yeah. MLK. <laughs> Obama. The, be- the best of Malcolm X. <laughs> uh, Hans, do you want to promote your, your Twitter before it's gone? Uh, we should. No, no, it's fine. It's whatever. What? We should what? We should what? We should... Uh, do something like that with the Patreon so that we can start making money. You can actually pay me because every time we do an episode, you say you pay me, you haven't paid me. Shit. <laughs> I, I, I pay you in, in gratitude, in, in time and respect, loyalty. How about that? I don't know about respect. I've never felt the respect. I think you're holding up on that one, but yeah. 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 So, uh, join the Patreon and, uh, there's nothing extra there, though, but... No, what do you... I'm, no, I'm there's, at, there's I'm a video. good at selling. There's... I don't know if you, you've been able to tell in all this... When, whenever Jerry will be promoting the Discord, I'll just be like, why join it? It's shit. And our patron has a lot of extras that I don't know about because I'm not in it. There's but, the video yeah. version of uh, the last oh, yeah. episode. I don't know about this one. I don't know if I've been recording video for this one. If, if so, what a treat. But uh, <laughs> yeah. People, yeah. people get episodes very early. As in, we record uh, a good good amount, and then uh, you know we just throw them all on Patreon, and then they are queued up like seven weeks in advance for iTunes. So we'll be talking about Chris D'Elia's pedophilia four months after he's already been outed, arrested, <laughs> and sentenced in prison. You know, so uh, that's what you have to gain by going to Patreon.com/slash/lowers. All right, uh, thank you guys for doing this show and and having the patience that it took to get here. This has been such a long time in the making. I'm happy we, we got around to doing it, though, and I think it was a quality episode. Cool. Oh, thanks. All right. That's been the show for this week. Thank you for listening.